My name is Ramana Verhatrulundar. I'm so sorry about that. Is there anything we can do? the Whovian Review. I am Michael. I'm Shelby. Eh, I can be Jeremy today. How about you? I'm mostly Jeremy today. <laughs> and Colin is signing on as well. Tonight we're going back to the key to time, very first story, the Rebos operation, which actually there is an interesting little tidbit that I wanted to point out was that you might have noticed that Tom Baker's lip had a rather interesting Cold scar on it. No, not at all. He was actually attacked by a dog who bit him on the lip and they had to cover it up. It took a long time with the makeup people. Oh. Oh. Was it a dog on set or outside? No, this was um, when he was not on set. He wasn't even acting at, the, at that moment. He was actually attacked by a dog um, uh, off screen. I don't know. I could see Tom Baker attacking the dog himself. I mean, I'm not, it could just well, be a very innocent dog. Well, Tom's very... Was very it a poodle that got jealous of his hair? Maybe. <laughs> All I know is that D- Tom Baker is a huge lover of dogs, so he probably went to pet the dog, and I'm guessing the dog didn't uh, quite know what to do with him because he's so big and tall, so they, they just got scared. So I, He's also got those big eyes. That can be pretty frightening, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe Shelly's right about the hair. It does look a lot like meaty noodles. Aye, aye, aye. I, I, I will say, <laughs> I was kind of distracted for a while by his lip. Because they kept just... I noticed it, yeah. yeah I, I, I definitely Well, especially thought... in the opening sequences where he meets up with the White Guardian. Yes. And you see all the lighting that's on it kind of over-accentuates it. So, but man, he must have been in pain doing I, those scenes. Yeah, he, he, he was definitely feeling it. So here's the thing. The entire time I was looking at it, like, I was like, have I just not noticed his lip before? Mm-hmm. I was looking, I, I, the entire I had that same thing going through my head because I think we both realized that K-9 has a collar and we're like, K-9 doesn't have a collar all the time. I swear. I've yes, he does. <laughs> and apparently he does. And so I was just like, I'm not sure. I'm not going to say anything now because maybe Tom Baker's had this. You know, <laughs> had this little scar forever. I will say that the opening scene well, with the White Guardian is extraordinarily surreal, especially if you kind of watch all of other Doctor Who. This is the first time that the TARDIS just kind of magically opens and this brilliant light comes out of nowhere and this very eternal being, I should say, comes out and starts saying, Doctor, you shall be coming henceforth. And then the rest of his speech was fantastic because he was just like, Doctor, there are these pieces of the key to time, this device that can be trusted to no one. You must gather these things and bring them to me. So, so, there's something I wanted to talk about that guy. Okay, if you're going to make a grand entrance, make a door open 
a voice and everything else. When the doctor walks out, just be in the chair. Don't just appear in the chair like he he just he just faded into the chair all of a sudden. Like you know you're walking in there. You don't have to be like. I have now materialized out of thin air. Well, this he is was, a... he was obviously trying his hand at the PowerPoint presentation animation <laughs> This is still this is also coming from the same guy who says beware of the black dog. I know the, the doctor's beware. like wait, 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 what do you mean what exactly should I be yeah. watching out for? Beware, beware. <laughs> Bye. I Good mean luck. I mean to his credit, he would not be aware if it wasn't for the white guardian. He wouldn't be aware of <laughs> all. He, he would not know. As I saw him for the very first time, I just thought Colonel Sanders just suddenly appeared. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, he doesn't know who the Black Guardian is. I mean, he might be just as powerful and be able to find him. Like, this this seems just, like, ripe for trouble. I mean, he should take all the all the parts directly back to the White Guardian, right? I, I can't imagine that's how it's going to go down, though. Was he drinking an apple teeny? I mean, what did you? What, whatever it was, it was certainly colorful. I think he was drinking the concept of time. <laughs> oh, awesome. Awesome. I like that. So this story was actually written by Robert Holmes, who is one of the all-time classic Doctor Who scriptwriters. And He's my Holmesy. He is known for having his pairs, and one of the pairs in this story definitely goes down in the most famous, some of the most famous pairs of all time. That, of course, is Gar- Garan and Unstoff. Who yeah, are these? The, the thieves. The They're, two thieves that I, are. I really like Garand a lot. Well, Garand is just, just like, oh so over the top, but he is actually kind of a a lovable over the top. And then of course yeah. Unstaff is kind of his like probably a little bit more of the brain. Well, not the brains. He's more of the heart of the yeah. operation, and actually cares about people and and things of that nature. Well, Michael, I just you love made a pretty thing. bold claim and before we watched this that yeah. there was. The most perhaps lovable kind of character aside from Wilf. Well, we haven't gotten to that yet, so I'm wanting to get do these two first before we get to that. Well, I I've just been thinking about it the whole time. Nothing Me measures too. up here. I mean, we had some good characters, but I mean the the scale of which you know you put. I, I don't even know who you're talking about. Yeah, honestly. And he, he was talking about the beggar guy who like guessed you, that there were you stars. Mean the guy that was one of the, I, I thought I, I I had him pegged for the dark uh, one of the dark uh, um, minions. Dark minions. Shadow, whatever. We have the light. Oh, the, the black, black guardian? guardian. Black guardian. Yeah, sorry, that's what. Oh no, Binro Binro the heretic was he was chastised and and thrown out of his own society for thinking that the stars were actually he's the, suns. He's the Galileo of this planet. Yeah, he was, but because of his scientific mind, and he was, and the ice gods were going to be totally, absolutely horrified by his thoughts in this. He was going to be destroyed because they weren't little icicles in the sky. Um, so the ice gods and fire gods would be very, very, very upset with him. I would not put him on equal footing with Wilf, though. No. I felt like he was an okay no, no, character. I mean, we didn't get even enough timing with him to really, you know... Uh, he, he was a good character. Uh, yeah, he's a like, great, he's he's a a great character, character for the story. But, I mean, like, he seemed kind of on par with the same endearness as, like, the main thief. 
Yeah. I, I, I liked the main deep, and I loved when it allowed, like, the Doctor and Romana just sidle up and use his same lines of, oh, we're just from the North, and, like, yeah, we you totally listen to this guy. He knows what he's talking about. So, like, he's sitting at the con mirror, so they're going, well, I kind of have to play along with these guys because they're playing along with me. <laughs> but I'm just saying, I, didn't, I, I had the entire time, I was looking out for a Black Guardian, like... And I'm looking at everyone like, not, not you, not you, not new. You are too over the top. But you just seem like a nice person. And that's the perfect thing for a black guardian. That's all I could think because the entire time. So I was just hey, like, hey, maybe he is. We have, maybe we're not there yet. No. Well, Binra passed away in this story, unfortunately, because yeah. he sacrificed himself. You think himself. black guardians can just die? <laughs> die off? You think eternal beings are just like, oh, no, I'm dead now. Oh. Yeah, that, that, that was... I, I mean... So, when, when they walked in, and like, only one will come out alive. I was like, well, he's in there, and he, they he, they dragged him back in. I was like, I was just... I was waiting for it. So when he died, I was like, that was the biggest shock to me. I was like, oh, he died. You're going to get up now. You're going to get up now. And it never <laughs> happened. It, well, I was honestly shocked. Bin, Binro is known in Doctor Who fandom as one of the more lovable and interesting characters. And I think it comes down to that one sequence scene where he's with Unstoff and Unstoff validates his own mm-hmm. be- belief or his own th- theories on, on the universe. And I think a lot of people just kind of really see that joy that the actor has on his face. And I think this may have been one of the last things this actor actually did. I mean, he was great, but he was no Leela or Ace or K-9 or Savlon Blitz. I felt like the doctor was giving Galileo his, you know, uh, Van Gogh treatment Mm -hmm. kind of a thing. Even though it wasn't the doctor himself, it was like he had his moment of like, you will be looked back on positively and be be right. Mm. And it was nice, but, you know, as a an interesting character, he's, he's fairly interesting in the context of this story, but he was just like a paper stamp Galileo. Yeah. I, 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 I would... Well, you, the problem, I think, Michael, is that you gave us a lot of... Uh, <laughs> presti- you gave, I shouldn't you have said to, anything. You, so. you compared him to Wilf. Yeah, that was the... Biggest mistake you could have made. You, I know, didn't, you actually said, I consider them to be equal. Ones for classic and ones for modern, I consider them to be equal. Which, which honestly should be a An higher pairing for, for him because there's so much more classic material. Well, what I'm saying is that this is for, in just, in just one aspect of characterization, they're very endearing, both of them. It, I'm not saying that you can't like or enjoy some of the others. I mean, Garan's a really cool character, but I don't. I wouldn't be endeared to him. I'm yeah. more. I'm more just kind of. I thought he was endearing. I, I thought to like a his, degree, but it's it's a very different kind. I I just don't. I feel thought it the was same like for him. very relatable in some of like the moral grays that he went through. Like I, I first I was just thinking he was like a a criminal completely, and then I thought it was funny. You know, him like oh well, I couldn't let the culture fade away from the planet. <laughs> and he had a lot of good quips and characterizations. It made him feel like um, much more down to earth, and he actually had the down to earth experience. You know? I, like, I had you a. You don't see a lot of characters in space. I had an argument with my conscience, but fortunately I won. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably one of the greatest lines. Yeah, there were a lot of, I mean, and the way that he handled, like, his assistant screwing up the entire thing and potentially getting them killed. And he was just like, 
yeah, that was my assistant's bad. He screwed up. Sucks. Happens. <laughs> <laughs> like... He definitely has that a very endearing, you know, in the in the yes. face of ultimate danger. No, I thought I thought like, so too. Well, and he's just kind of cracking jokes. And, well, it, it's what know. makes it believable that he could have gone around scamming people all this time, you know, because he is very likable and endearing. That was kind of you know he's very charismatic guy. Right, like yeah. you need that to be a con man. Right, which was like one of the points in here. Definitely. Well, I mean, I will say that Garon and Unstaff, Unstaff himself, too, has also had some intrigue to him because of his Scringe Stone story. Yeah, I did like the Scringe Stone story. <laughs> I mean, it certainly seemed like he was trying to throw the Graf Vindicate a little bit uh, under the bus there. I mean, honestly, like, the con as it was set up was pretty, you know... Brilliant. <laughs> it seems like I could see that working a lot of places because you haven't actually sold someone that something you haven't you know they haven't agreed to. But like, yeah, I was a you know, they think they're about gonna, their strategy. With they they, they the think because like didn't they have like a reading like the other people had a reading of the planet and how much you know elements were already there? Did they need to? No, see? no, 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 no. Like so, they planted a re- report that said that there was Jethra ground, and they also planted the block of Jethra. It seems like the make... report. No, no, know, they they they, they, they forged the report. Yeah, right. But like in in the minds of the other person, like they already knew, and it was written in the contract of the minds. Like it seemed like without seeing a lump of Jethra, that was like risking a grand grand fortune that they pretty much already had the con locked down through that report. What didn't make sense to me is why they would risk putting that jet trick there in the first Exactly. Place. Yeah. It seems like from what you're risking, you're really not getting much of anything else. Well, but he did say that he doesn't think that it's actually worth all that much, which implies that maybe he scanned it and figured out it wasn't really Jethrig, and he doesn't know how valuable the Key of Time piece is or whatever, and was just like, this is something else that just looks like Jethrig. And so, you know. Well, then why did he try to steal it back? Yeah, it seemed to be valuable enough to him that, you know, it was more important than the gold. Well, even Ramana asked him, why don't you just sell the Jethrig? That was kind of a obvious question, and I think his initial response was that he needed it to sell the planets because that's where he, he kind of goes into the idea of okay, I need to set this whole thing up. Well, clearly, he didn't because he convinced them before the Jethric showed up. But 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 yeah, you, you did make thought. a good point though. He Garon didn't realize the true um, worth of Jethric because the Doctor was even kind of being like. You do realize how much, how valuable this stuff is, right? And Garen's like, oh, it's not that big a deal. So I, even though... I took that as like, kind of just like... Uh, oh, that was him just... Rushing this stuff doing off. Doing his con thing. Exactly. Like, I, it possibly. It seemed like he knew how it was oh, very there valuable. Oh, no possibly about Especially he how he said like, how can you not know about Jethric? It is the most valuable element in the universe with all of these purposes. Like, he knows. He knows. <laughs> and, and, and if he's using Jethric... To lure other people into selling planets, he knows. He knows what power he well, is and what power is. Well, then that's all the more with. reason to put it there in the well, first place. But if you we, don't need it, and you can forge the right documents and the right paperwork, and you can do it all through your con man shenanigans without a real piece of Jethric that you are yeah. risking to get a, a measly a million gold alien parsecs. 
you know. But we don't, we don't know how much that stuff is worth either and how many times he runs this con because maybe other people aren't as easily snowed as You're this right. like, we don't, prince We don't have enough information. Like, it just became clear to me that they could do this without the Jethric and the Jethric was worth so, so much. It seemed like a huge risk. Yeah. Like they yeah. were worried about going in and the guy getting killed just to get to the gold and they're putting their Jethric behind there well, to do it an extra time? Uh, hang on, maybe that one piece was pretty substantial by itself isn't worth the price of a planet, but, like, the idea that there's a Jethric mine would be. Well, here's the other thing is that I think the Jethric was used to win the Graf's trust with, um, with... Garen the first the whole Gref, the whole Jethric interaction lost his trust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the whole thing about trying to steal the what was it, the scribing or whatever. Oh well, that was that was because the other guy screwed up. Oh, I know that. Yeah, but my point is, I mean, it all happened so, together. So the whole thing is that you you're trying to get his trust, and you were really losing it because you're incompetent, or or you're. I would say he was one of my more lovable characters to me. Like I just his his. His goofiness, but your sidekick basically constantly like making this big story, just kind of like, well, there went that idea. Yeah, I th- I think that what their actual plan was for was for the like assistant to just be like, oh yeah, that stuff's all over the place. Yeah, and then move on. And so I feel like with you know, there's just like, oh yeah, that's a big chunk of it, but it's all around. It's whatever. Like was kind of the idea of what they were trying to do. Well, also given I understand the idea, just but yeah, I mean, poor, I see I, poor yeah. idea and strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, given that they're that Geth or Jethrig or whatever it's called is uh, so worth it. I was surprised that he let go of the the locator so easily, given that it located the the Gethrig. And to his understanding, yeah. it would locate multiple sources, and it latched onto the biggest one. Because he kind of gave it away a little easily for it being something that would be very valuable to him, despite it actually probably not locating any other, but like yeah, not, not having well, on the planet. At least. Well, also Romana and the Doctor appear to be you know younger and stronger than him. He's not really the type, the rough and tumble type. He's the talk his way out of things type. So he probably thought he could you know slide of hand it back later. Plus, it's it's set up that this is like the last mission that they're doing together. It sounds like he has what he needs to, for retirement after this point. He's he's ready to. He's going to take his Jethric and he's retire. not going to be you know a, a Jethric hunter for the next couple decades well, to find a piece smaller than what he already has. Unstaff also kind of gets on his case for leaving Ramana down in the catacombs without the tracer in the first place. Cause, and that I could see Garon actually thinking, you know, maybe that wasn't the best thing for me to do. But he won against his conscience, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Eventually. Eventually, yes. It was a struggle. Oh, yeah, what, what about the bone witch lady? The yeah, we need to talk about that. There's not a there's not a lot of times where it's like clear supernatural domain, you know, going on in Doctor Who. At the same time, where it seems like what would be super powered by ice gods don't seem to really exist, you know, in another another sense. Maybe it's a Jethric that's there that's giving her the power of. Oh, I kind I, I kind of else? I kind like, of got the impression that she was just there was a Jethric there until the other day. That she she believed that. There were ice gods, and the people around her believed it. Yep. And she thought she could tell the future, and so she was just 
you know, spouting things that she believed to be true. And like, they just all happened to be exactly true. They were very specific. Well, okay. What about the, like, only one of you, you know, will survive of the ones that went in in the catacombs that worked. The doctor survived. Yeah, But you also look at like the prince was also in the caverns being like, well, I just need to make sure everyone around me dies first and then I'll be the survivor. And when you've got that type of attitude, you kind of create your own destiny there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, like, I kind of think that it might have been just a little bit about, like, this is this planet's, you know, religion. Everybody was convinced that this guy was in this particular place and he, and then she was just like, he's in the catacombs and completely right. The other guy, like, you know, goes and passes out and she's like, oh, dead, dead already. That's right. That's fair, yeah. I mean, these things are, you know, there aren't any errors that we can document. Yeah. I mean, we only have so many data points and they're all spot on by this oracle. Um, not explained. One of the few oracles that actually get it right. <laughs> the, the, the problem is we can't even test her out in the future. She is retired. Retired <laughs> from life, yes. yeah. She foresaw her own ending. Yeah. You know, if, that, if I were an oracle and I foresaw my Indian, like, you know what? I don't need to go in the cave. You guys go. Well, on. I think now, she knew that about they... legacy. I mean, they're uh... going to be singing about the oracle, you know, and, and be praising her long after Bib Joe is, is right. proved correct. She has to fulfill the prophecy. And, and, and plus, those other people would have, you know, killed her on the spot if yeah. she refused to go. So, yeah. What did you think of the Shriven Gels, the uh, creatures that live down in the catacombs? I liked them. I thought they were cute and charming. <laughs> Yeah, they were. I, I was wondering if they were the most endearing characters of classic Doctor Who. They were definitely. They were, I, I thought they were fun just to watch around, and I liked how how I liked little it when you get a big they, bad, right? When you get a big bad monster, and it's not the most dangerous thing walking around the entire time. Yeah, it was pretty sidelined. Yeah, yeah. In the catacombs, it seemed even smaller than the one that was like in behind the door. You're right. I think the one, I think the uh, costumes that they created for those were actually pretty reasonable for a yeah. Yeah. Oh, low yeah. budget sci fi oh. film. I liked the um, the antler helmet too. That was pretty cool. Oh yeah, I know that. Was actually, cool. most of the I would have to say most of the costuming in this story were really were, good. Were amazing. I mean, Garon. The set was good too. Yeah, there were a lot I, of good I, sets. I was kind of wondering if this had been used for another. I assume. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, at like least parts the, of it. The like the the bone. Which I, had to be a druidic set. Yeah, everything in this could have come out of like a Robin Hood set. Or or remember that uh, yeah. that episode with all like the um, the metal like being super rare and like mm-hmm. for them trying to like mm-hmm. it feels like you know some of the scenes there could have been plucked mm-hmm. in the same environment. <laughs> and in this case, they actually had <laughs> snow, working snow on set too, all over the place. D- did they, or did it just happen to snow? <laughs> no, they they actually there was fake snow that they yeah, had. Yeah, that was all fake snow. Yeah, I know. But it was pretty good pre- was. for fake snow. I mean, I don't know if they really should be doing fake snow like that anymore. I know well, some of they, it can it, be. They are. That was in the seventies, man. <laughs> nowadays they use uh, potato shavings. So yeah. Did they used to be like CFC blow yeah, the ozone layer? Yeah, well, product. Wizard of Oz is known for having some of the, that for the snow scenes, they actually got sick from it because yeah, of, these are be- asbestos. Because they yeah. use asbestos. Yeah. 
And that's, that's friendly. And that was that scene where they like they covered the whole field of poppies with yep. the asbestos being like, drugs are bad, kids. <laughs> and like all of those actors were just coated in layers yeah, of that stuff. a lot of opium before you go to asbestos. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so I, I thought that, but I, I did like the snow and I thought that was kind of, Kind of a nice touch to the whole thing. Yeah, and it did kind of make it, you know, a nice change that the doctor was dressed appropriately for the weather. <laughs> yeah, just about, and, and just about everyone was, too. Romana, surprisingly, was, was dressed for the occasion. Oh, only, oh, okay, so the doctor uh. walks out of the TARDIS with the with Romana's, like, coat, and she walks out just in her, like, she dress. She didn't know. Yes, but she... She's never experienced you, snow before. You give her the coat and you tell her to put it on before... No, the doctor, you know, wants to screw with her because he doesn't like that he has to have an assistant and he's insulted that she did better in school than him and that she's, you know, telling him off with her old book smarts. So he's just being mean to her just he's to be mean. He's being petty. He's being yes. very petty throughout this whole story, which is actually kind of great. And we also... You don't really think about the doctor as being, like, the one of him and the companion that's got the street smarts. He's usually the book smarts type one. And here we kind of flipping the st- script on him with oh. Ramona because she comes in and she's like, I know all this stuff better than you. But then like, she's like, oh, you know, there's people trying to you know, swindle me. What's and happening? I'm betting over time that we're, we're going to see that the doctor in this situation shouldn't have been very petty. Just like Tom Baker shouldn't have been very petty with that dog. <laughs> oh, dear. oh yes, you little canine. Yes, it's, ah. I mean, I admit I I do like the the idea that the doctor is a little petty. As a matter of fact, it kind of goes back to the third and fourth doctor both saying, "Yeah, you can be childish sometimes." I mean, the doctor has always had that childlikeness in him. Even back to the first doctor, where he goes around giggling all the Sorry. time and pretending to be inside a Dalek in the space museum and all these other. Type times where the doctor really kind of shows his childlike qualities. This is no exception where he's completely ups. I think he's both in in awe of Romana and also can't stand her. At the yeah, same he's time. like a petulant child the whole <laughs> and, time. And here, instead of getting inside a Dalek, he gets inside of like the enemy uh, shoulder kind of armor, mm-hmm. soldier armor. Oh yeah, that's true. He does he does dress up as one of the gra- the guards, which gives him the ability to actually survive Save the day. Yes. Well, I mean, he has to establish his dominance over Romana in this story. It's like his main goal. Well, he he gave her certain certain rules, like just don't say anything. Let me do all the talking and all, and and just stay by my side and don't wander off. That's basically what a companion should do. Well, of course, Ramona is going to immediately wander off. She's going to immediately start talking. Like a good companion always does. And like, a, and she's actually probably going to do better than the doctor anyway. <laughs> so I have a question for you guys. Yes. Who do you think is the strongest con man in the story? Hmm. I mean, the doctor seemed pretty suave. Conning sort of everyone. I mean, it, if, if that guy really is the Black Guardian, then I mean, I gotta go with him. I mean, if the Oracle wasn't actually spitting truth from the supernatural, she's the greatest con person. She wins. <laughs> yeah. no, no, she she wins because even though she lied, she was right. Yeah, and even before that, she earned the trust of everyone. Like, the main guard is like, oh, we'll, we'll tell the secret, but we'll just fight him, because we always do. We're going to talk about the one who can con, every, they can con a con man and end up with the prize in the end. 
The doctor did yeah, it. The doctor did it in the end. Because he, the switcheroo, he re-switcherooed at the very end. Yeah, the bomb and the, the, the piece of the key to time. Also, another fatality for the doctor I didn't think about. <laughs> we didn't think about. It says he was just going off shouting while there was all these uh, creatures around him. It's like, yes, yes, uh, avenge me. <laughs> like, that, I'm going to say, that was one of the weakest little scenes to me, how he walked off, like, avenge. And they were like, dude, you've, like, lost all your rockers in two seconds flat. <laughs> I don't think he ever had his rockers. I think he was always kind of over the edge there. He was a weak character, and he deserved oh, a weak yeah. death. He, he was, he was <laughs> two-dimensional, but he was going to the 1D at that point. I wouldn't, there. I wouldn't say he was completely weak. He no, did. no, no, I mean, like, the character was a weak person yeah. and oh, gotcha, yeah. deserved a weak death, <laughs> and I felt like it was fitting. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's that makes sense. He did morally. Right? <laughs> I mean, I think he did do pretty well in discovering the uh, the the little device that Garon was using to listen in on him. Yeah, and he also just thought more about the story. Like, you know, this isn't lining up. Yeah, okay, that, that, those those are some fair points there. Yeah, he did have he did have. Some, I mean, he he wasn't completely trusting of of everything going on, so he did have that. And it did his, sound like you know he didn't have all victories, but it sounds like he had some real competency in battle. You know, um, from his history. A lot of right. people also question the relationship he has with Sholak. Because Sholak, of course, when he dies... They're lovers. The Yeah, the graph really, like, is so emotional. I mean, unless it's, I like, a fatherly like figure. His trusted person and, like, right-hand and man he probably and advisor. Doesn't, he doesn't have a lot of people who've stuck with him after, you know, his whole big scandal. Exactly. So it might just be, like, this is the last person that he's known from before he got shamed. I mean, shamed. we know one thing that, like, for, like... So long, it sounds like. It sounds like for so years, they were in dark labyrinths together, you know, on the edge of death. Like, how many times did that guy save his life? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it needs to be a simple kind of romantic love. I would cry over you, Michael, if you died. And I would be distraught. If you died right next to me, you and everybody would be like, oh, those two... They were really getting it on. <laughs> but no, oh my! <laughs> okay. <clears throat> At any rate, do I do I need to know something, Shelby? <laughs> um, no, I. You know, I, I just, hope not. It was <laughs> Platonic relationships can be deeply, deeply meaningful. True. And we do have a lot of flirtation between the Doctor and Ramana in this story. I'll prove you I'm not compensating. (laughs) Ramana definitely had had some really funny lines with regards to all her uh, ideas on psychology. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty easy on the eyes, too. Oh, she was. Oh, they make Mary Tam was new. Oh, yeah, that slow, like, pan up from her feet. (laughs) Slow pan up. And those boots, too. Time Lord businessy look, very well and proper. But as we're going down, and her combing her hair out and flicking it around. Oh yeah, and she's like fake brushing it the whole time because it would screw up all the you know curls they put in her hair. <laughs> I think that's very Time Lord though, very Time Lady. It just seemed like she was oozing that kind of air of 
pomposity. I'm, yeah, yeah, pomposity. Just I'm better. Than I never that once one. saw the thirteenth Doctor comb her hair. <laughs> the Doctor's a little bit different, though. They he only squeaked by with fifty one percent. So. He, he's more the rebel. He's barely a time lord. <laughs> How did she barely. have the time to... He was a time lady hole. then. Time lady. How did she have the time to put a hole in his TARDIS, though? Like, she was only in there for, like, assumedly a, a minute or so. Well, all the time that he was talking to the Guardian, she was there. Yeah, but, in, yeah, but that in wasn't the TARDIS <laughs> with potentially infinite time at her disposal. <laughs> Except for it didn't dematerialize or yeah, anything. But yeah, it could have been like a timey-wimey white guardian thing. Maybe the doctor actually spent more time there than it seemed like I mean, like can't you be gone for like uh, half a millisecond and come back half a millisecond later? <laughs> and in theory, have infinite time in between? Yeah. Easily. Technically. I mean, this is the white guardian. He's yeah, got I mean, power like, over Yeah, I mean, you can see it at the rate that your eyes can keep up with it. It's like it never left. You could do that with a TARDIS. There's yeah, also an infinite number of guardians, considering the range of colors you have. <laughs> we have the white guardian, the black guardian, and the, like, pink or trues. Gray. <laughs> yeah. I would say that... Uh, the time outside of the TARDIS where the White Guardian could be could have gone a lot slower if than the, what was going on inside the TARDIS. I mean, if the White Guardian is so powerful, he could just, like, pluck TARDISes out of the sky and be like, you work for me now. Like, <laughs> why can't he get those freaking time key segments himself? The Doctor didn't even question that. He was just kind of like, hey, because man, thanks, black. boss. I mean, I, I just assume with all Eternals, it, it would be more fun this way. You kind of get bored after Eternity. Yeah, that sounds about right. But yeah. also maybe the White Guardian can't go into the universe in the same manner that the Doctor can. So well, they, we don't know his limitations are, are the, and his Are the White Guardians right. just playing Sims with, like, the, the Time Lords? You know, you move around, but you can't really control them. You just kind of... I mean, it's a good mystery. I mean, maybe the White Guardian is the friends we made along the way. <laughs> oh, no, he was totally messing with the dog because it was like, oh, yes, I have a quest. Find the six most powerful keys to time, and if you do not, nothing will happen. Ever again. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, and beware of this Black Guardian who's equally powerful as me, but you don't know who he is. Also... <laughs> the the keys are could be disguised as anything, and all you have is an assistant and a tracker. Okay, I'm gonna say this right now. Yes. If we ever see this black guardian, I want it to be the same actor in a black suit. That's it. I, I just want it to be the same actor in a black suit, and be like, and the doctor to have a line like, "Wait, but you're just the white guardian." I'd be satisfied, but I also want his hair to be black. Oh yes. Oh okay. Everything. Jet black. Yeah. Let's even do like the whole uh, black makeup. I'm, let's just keep going. Uh, I don't know what black face. Going too far. I mean, in the time period of this episode, I wouldn't put it past them. <laughs> but no, no, no. I'm talking about the eyes, not everyone. Oh, okay. oh, that makes more sense. No, no, no. I wasn't going. No. I I wouldn't expect Jeremy to go. Yeah, there. I was like that came out of nowhere. No, 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 no. I mean, I like thought it was a joke. Talons of Wang Jiang. Okay, no way. so 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 to clarify for people who can't see Jeremy, he's talking about. Thick eyeliner. Yeah. Sorry. That's what I meant. Eyeliner. That's what I meant. Well, I won't say if we ever get to see the Black Guardian, but I will say this. We have five more stories to go, and this one is only the first one of six. Nice. Well, personally, (laughs) I thought this was a great way to roll into the first. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought it set up a lot of goodness. 
I'm intrigued by the White Guardian and and the clear scale of of the of what's at stake here. Um, I want to see the keys to time. Um, I thought it was a really nice intro putting those pieces together, and I thought this this episode did a really great job in terms of pacing, which is often a big weakness, I think, in classic Doctor Who. But I felt engaged. I felt like most scenes were meaningful and led into the next and the next. I didn't feel like there was a lot of filler here. Um, I thought the acting was very strong, and we had several endearing characters. None like our our, our main boy, Wilf, um, but fantastic characters nonetheless. I thought the plot itself, while it kept moving in a good way, I, I thought it was okay. It was solid. That they did it. Huzzah. <laughs> um, and, and I felt similarly about, um, I'd say, the effects. I, I think I think they did it. You know, it was, you know, it was okay. Not not too bad. Um, overall, I I, did, I think this was enjoyable. Um, and it kept me engaged, kept me interested, and it got me excited for what's to come in this saga. And I think that's really the key to where, what they were doing this episode. <laughs> I thought you were going to say key to time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no pun intended. There was an illusion there. I thought the key to time would be too on the nose. Um, <laughs> but for me, this episode is getting a 7.5 out of 10. Oh. Well, I would give a long speech, but my throat is a bit dry, so I'll say I give it about an 8.3 out of 10. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll go ahead and take your time and add it to my own. <laughs> How are we going to put the music on That's for the you? That's time. <sighs> All right. So, oh, well. for me, I first, I'm going to make sure I get my metric. No Clara, point gone. We got to go there, so it's already going down to nine. Such an irritating metric. <laughs> <laughs> Very irritating. <laughs> no. Um, He's going to be surprised when in the next season we learn one of these characters actually was Clara. <laughs> <laughs> then it retroactively gets another point. It was the star guy, the Galileo guy. <laughs> it was really Clara. <laughs> Binro. Oswald. So, um, beyond that, I would say the other thing, and really it's the only complaint I can say I have is that I never like it when you have a new companion introduced and the se- the sexual tension is immediately, like, put there, like, forced there in a way. I get the whole idea at some, some point the Doctor's companions are more models, in a way, it feels like, than true characters. At least they're treated that way at first. Yeah. You, you get to, we get to know Romana. We obviously know Romana. She's more than just a her pretty looks. face. But that first few minutes, it just, it really put a damper on her introduction for me. And that's where my kind of, I kind of am going to drop a point for that. Beyond that, everything else was very solid. So I'm going to just say, if, if, if it had, if, if Ramon had been introduced less as an object and more as a person immediately, um, I'm not saying she wasn't treated like a, a person throughout the, the whole thing, but just that intro there, I would have given it a higher score, but I'm thinking an ace is going to be where I'm going to stick, stick. I mean, solid. It was a solid, entertaining, fun, and great uh, character character duos throughout. So, yeah. Yeah, I thought that this was fun, solid. There were a lot of great lines, good acting, good, you know, costumes and sets and all that. Um you know, it wasn't like groundbreaking or anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, as you know, Colin pointed out that 
you know, that the, the whole con was a little bit flawed. Mm -hmm. And there was like, you know, some random magic thrown in that was really pretty unnecessary for the plot. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but it was all around enjoyable. Um, I'm going to give this one a 7 out of 10. Felt like it was, you know, middling. Mm -hmm. Did you give your ring? I said 8. Right. And I mean, I thought, he, he I thought, knocked off one point for no Clara and one point for <laughs> for wanting to be depicted as an object. Which man, you must have trouble with a lot of the classics. <laughs> oh, I do. That's usually yeah. No, I know. It. It's it's like Ace really shook it up. Yeah, oh, yeah. I love, it was helpful for me, like already seeing so much of future Romana that like I felt like even though the setup here. You know, was, Actually, was given that like I already so, felt like you know, well, it's not really so, so much sexual is, tension. I, I, we know, I know future Romana, and I was just like getting ready, like, oh, it's Romana, and it's like, oh, this what are you is, trying to do? This is awkward. It, it, it's like more one of those scenes where I would again, if at the time I probably would have loved it a whole lot more. I'd probably been like, ooh, ba ba boom, ba ba beam, whatever. I don't know. Whatever gets people's rocks off in, in that in the seventies and eighties, all those times. like I'm saying, you're just digging yourself a deeper hole, man. Uh huh. I don't care for it too much. I like it when care when Get it. when yeah, the, the the tension isn't there for the doctor and their companions. Yeah, I I felt that very real very real in the last episode that we just you know podcasted on in this new era. Mm-hmm. All right, Michael still has to give his rating, though. Well, okay, so I don't really see that there was that much sexual tension. I, I mean, I get that there was maybe... You weren't turned on? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... Was it the cut on his leg? <laughs> All I'm going to say is that I didn't feel like that was the focus in this particular story. But at any rate, moving right along, um, uh, one thing that we hadn't mentioned and that I'm going to point out that I thought was really well done was the music in this story. They had some really amazing, like, gothic kind of sounds and some uh, very regal kind of sounds for when they were when the crown, crown jewels were being shown um, and, and their little ceremonies and whatnot. And I, I liked that. It was it's a different sound. It wasn't the same typical... 70s Doctor Who soundtracks. So that makes it really nice. Um, one thing I will say um, is I agree that the Seeker was kind of an odd oddity in this, is that she, she shrieks and she kind of, uh, I don't know, she was probably the weakest link in this whole story for me, personally. Um, so I would take it down a point, at least for her. Um, but all in all, I think this is a very solid story. It's a very traditional Robert Holmes script. It pairs off a bunch of people quite easy, quite quickly. Um, and it gives K-9 something to do, um, which is kind of nice. K-9's not just sidelined for the whole entire story. Um, I will also say that, yes, I agree that there are a lot of endearing characters in this particular one. Um, I think we all know which one's my favorite. Um, so I don't need to go into that. Canine. <laughs> I'm going to give this story an 8.8 .8 out of 10. I think it's a Ooh, very maybe. strong um, story. Uh, it just misses the 9, though. just misses. Anyway. I can see all your perspectives as the uh, lower score, lowest scorer of the evening. <laughs> I, get, I get it. Yeah, I feel right there with you. I could go either way. But what do you think, audience? I scored lower than you. 
Oh, never mind. <laughs> yeah, right. it was a seven, and then you went seven point five. That's right. And then we had an eight, 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 eight point three, eight, eight point eight. Yeah, we were pretty, we were pretty uh, scrunched. We're yeah. all, we're we all within two. We had a slope. Yeah, we're all within <laughs> two, two numbers. All right. Good night, everyone.